0: Show with Richard
1: Sarin from Zuma Radio AM seven forty. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Thomas Horn is standing by to discuss a cosmic cover-up of end-time proportions, and he'll be here for the full two hours. Owen Wolfe is my technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer, and we are streaming live on the YouTube channel Strange Planet. Uh, say, have you signed up for my free monthly newsletter yet? The Inner Sanctum. It's a jam-packed with great content, and all you need to do to receive it is register at Planet. Dot CA, Strangeplanet.ca. It takes but a moment, and once you've registered, you'll also be automatically entered into the monthly draw for for great Strange Planet gear: t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, mugs, phone cases, socks, and more. Why not do it right now? Just to, just go to Strange and of course, it's uh, delivered right to your uh, your inbox. But do you remember when we a- actually used to get real mail? Isn't it such? Great fun when we get... I got a, a, a nice little card here. I'm going to open it up live on the air. This is such a rarity. This is a lovely Hanukkah card. Uh, like like the Hanukkah candles that shine. Richard Serrett, you bring your own special light and warmth to the world. Have a wonderful Hanukkah and a Merry Christmas from Melanie, who's in Etobicoke. Melanie, thank you so much. What a treat that is to actually get Real (laughs) mail. Thank you for that. All right. Uh, Does Revelation chapter 8, verses 10 and 11 describe an asteroid? Is the wormwood star from Revelation 8 already headed toward Earth? Are NASA and high level government officials aware of an asteroid that it's on a collision course with our planet? Is that why President Trump sanctioned a colossal increase to planetary defense? Did the prophecies from ancient cultures and religions across the globe all point to a catastrophic planetary event that has scientists and politicians taking extreme preventative measures under the public radar? Strap yourselves in and get ready for a wild ride, friends. Thomas Horn is a longtime television and radio personality, bestselling author and publisher. He serves as the chief executive officer of Skywatch TV known for its breaking news and in-depth investigative reports about prophecy, conspiracies, and the supernatural. He's also the founder of Defender Films and Defender Publishing. Thomas has discussed his cutting-edge discoveries in a variety of media, including Sid Roth's It's Supernatural, The Jim Baker Show, and, of course, Coast to Coast AM. His latest is The Wormwood Prophecy, NASA, in a cosmic cover-up of end-time proportions. Thomas, welcome aboard. How are you?
2: Hey, Richard. I'm doing great, and thank you for having me back on again.
1: My pleasure. So, uh, what does Revelation chapter 8, verses 10 and 11 actually say?
2: Uh, Yeah, um, it says, And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters, and the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Um, Interestingly, here in Revelation 8, where it says a star fell from heaven, that is the Greek word aster or astron, from which we make the word asteroid, and so that could also be read as a great asteroid fell from heaven, burning as it were a lamp.
1: Wormwood. What is what is wormwood? Why was that star named wormwood?
2: Yeah. So part of this, um, if you were to ask a doc, has have you ever had Doctor Michael Heiser on your program? No, no. Uh, well, I would highly suggest it. I mean, he is um, he is a, a Bible scholar of the first rank, um, but he's also a guy that loves talking about um, the paranormal. Uh, he's been on quite a few times on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, but I guess... Anyway, I, I have so
1: many people, you're not the only one, so many people have asked me to have him on, and that's definitely, he's definitely on my to-do list.
2: Yeah, I would highly suggest it, but if you were to ask him, because I did, uh, given the fact that he's, a, he's an ancient language expert. In fact, he's probably only one of ten people in the world that can uh, translate uh, extinct languages to the degree that he can, Um, ancient languages that have been forgotten to history, and that's really his forte, that's his PhD. Uh, But so I asked him, I said if, uh, if I were to ask an early church father about this text, Revelation 8, what would they make of the Wormwood prophecy? And he said most of them then would have translated Wormwood as, first of all, an angel, because uh, in those days when they talked about a star, so much of the Bible, you know, uses that terminology, a star, in reference to an angel, the seven angels throughout the churches of Asia. In fact, Revelation 9, immediately following Revelation 8, a star fell from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit, and unto him was given the key. So it's it's a personification uh, of, uh, of a heavenly entity. And so he told me that most early Church Fathers would imagine Wormwood referencing probably an angel of judgment, a fallen angel that falls to the earth and brings famine and chaos and so on onto the earth. The etymology, I go into all this stuff in the book, and it, we could get bogged down in it, so I don't want to uh, bother your listeners with it. But um, there's a case could be made uh, for suggesting that the meaning behind the word refers to bitterness, mm-hmm. uh, and so um, you know, even Chernobyl out ah, of Russia.
1: Yes, I was going to uh, ask you about that because uh, our, our good friend Pastor Carl Gallup's. Yes, uh, he he sort of made that case that that wormwood is Chernobyl, and and some have suggested that actually Chernobyl in Ukrainian means wormwood. I don't know if that's true or not.
2: Well, that's what I've been told. I can't speak, um, you know, Russian. Um, but that, or Ukrainian, but that is what I've been told as well that that's what it means. But in any case, um, now, for me though, this discussion involves something that I did not anticipate. Um, I didn't enter into 2019 early in the year saying, hey, you know what I ought to do? I ought to write a book about wormwood. Um, for me, the way this started was with a metaphysical experience that i have had on a few occasions in my life that i have only very rarely and by that i mean only a couple of times in my lifetime have i talked about it publicly or in media uh... and but it is something that has happened with me and each time that it has it has been one hundred percent accurate now let me explain to your listeners that might be scratching their head right now wondering what i'm talking about Uh, When I, and this over 40 years ago, 45 years ago, um, I was this uh, young, you know, preacher, and just wanted to be so involved in ministry, and literally just every day, hungry, begging God to let me be in ministry, right, just young Mm -hmm. and hungry, and... So I come home, and I was at work one night, and I, I during my whole lunch break, I went in a back room in a dark room uh, where these big silos were as a big, huge bakery. Um, and I turned out all the lights, and I'm in there just begging God to let me be in the ministry. So I come home that evening, uh, and uh, I go to bed. Now, the next thing, Richard, that I know, uh, I am standing in front of a very, very brilliant white light. Somehow in my mind, I know that I'm standing before God. Uh, I also know that he has told me some things, but then he has told me that I am not going to remember them, and it was time for me to go back. And the last thing I recall, vivid as much today as it was to me 45 years ago, uh, was me saying out loud, but please don't let me forget. Please don't let me forget (laughs) And all of a sudden, I started falling backward, as if I had fallen out of an airplane with my back towards the earth, and I'm falling through space. I could see the bright light and all of that moving very quickly away from me. And as you know, people that have had uh, supernatural experiences, NEDs, that kind of thing, yes. quite often describe this very brilliant light. Hundred percent. And uh, and I'm falling away from it very quickly. Uh, all of a sudden, I literally see the roof of my house go around me, and I fall on my bed with a thud. Uh, And immediately I set up in bed, I take in this deep breath, (gasps) like that, and now I'm, I'm no longer in whatever this vision, dream state, whatever it was, I'm no longer in that. I'm literally sitting up in my bed, and I'm sitting there kind of trying to collect what in the world had just happened. When I hear my beautiful young wife Nita weeping, and I turn on the bed and I look, and she's sitting up on the bed, and she's and I can tell she's been bawling, right? Uh, and it take and I'm asking her, babe, what's the matter? What's the matter? It takes her a few moments to collect herself, and finally, through her stuttered language, she explains to me that she had woke up in the middle of the night around two a.m. and I was dead. I had no breath. I had no heartbeat, I had no pulse, my word. Uh, and for 15 minutes or so, she's been beating on my chest, breathing into my mouth, trying to resuscitate me, doesn't know what she's doing. There was no cell phones back then that hadn't been invented. We didn't even have a rotary phone, and we lived uh, you know, in the country far enough away that she couldn't walk to the next neighbor. Right. And she had literally just been sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to have to drag him by the feet out into the car and drive to the hospital uh, to see if they can do something for him. Anyway, um, now, the next morning, i got to make this quicker. The next morning, I went to my pastor, and I told him what had happened. Uh, and I learned that day what the New Testament means when it says, you know, not to give what is holy to dogs or cast your pearls before a swine. Not that my pastor was a dog or a swine, but he totally did not get what I was talking about, <laughs> and he thought I had just ate too many chili beans, right, <laughs> uh, before I went to bed that evening. So it, it, then what happened was it had the reverse effect on me. I closed it up, I sealed it up, I would never talk about it publicly with anybody except my wife, of course, years later, my children. Um, but uh, at that time, every single day, I was praying and I was saying, God, I, I don't understand this. You know, what was this about? Because it was so vivid. Richard, I don't know if you've interviewed people that have had NDEs or any of
1: those oh, kinds of many, many, many,
2: yes. Uh, but if they try to describe the how vivid that plane is, you, actually, you can't describe it, because we, you know, we try to communicate in terms of the five senses that we have here. So, you know, yeah. smell, touch. Doesn't feel. cut it,
1: and <laughs> not adequate. And,
2: and it's not. It's, it, there it's like you have a thousand senses. Anyway, so um, every day I'm praying, and I'm saying, God, what was the point in that? I don't understand it with all respect. Why would you show somebody something, then say you're not going to remember? It just didn't even make sense you're at right. all. You're right. And for the first time in my life, I was praying through the Bible. I had never, pre- I had never read through the Bible uh, in my life. I was reading through the Bible. And I happened to, about four weeks later, and I happened to come across uh, the book of Job, chapter 33. And when my eyes fell on these verses... They literally leaped off the pages at me. It was a complete Logos, Rhema experience. And here's what it says uh, in Job 33. This was the first time I understood what had happened, 33:14, And it says, For God speaks once, yea, twice, yet man perceives it not in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumbering upon the bed, mm. then... He opens the ears of men and seals their instructions that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man, End quote. And I'm telling you, when I read that, even as this young, novice preacher who didn't know anything about theology, I totally got that he had sealed information within me that later on in my life, would become important. Now why would he not let me remember he actually explains that here in two different phrases. He says, number one, to withdraw man from his purpose. So of course, Richard, you would know that as a very young, hungry Christian, if I had known where God was going to take me someday, that I was going to, you know, own my own television network, be on television, own a publishing house, you know, be on all the these other you know famous celebrity Christians, right? I hate those terms. But that I'm going to be on their programs, what would I have done? I would have aimed at it, right? and I would have done everything I could to make that happen. What I would not have done is gone through all of the, you know, the school of life, all of the hard knocks and the things you have to learn. Right, it would have
1: been the tail wagging the dog.
2: Yeah, and then the second thing he says is to hide pride from man, which, of course, as a young preacher, had I seen everything that I would be doing today, it would have been very easy for me to get lifted up. I don't know if I would have or not, but it would have been certainly a temptation Absolutely. to think of myself as more than I should. But that was the very first time. Now, why am, I, why am I bringing that up? Because on several occasions in my life, and by the way, I would love for somebody listening to your program to email me or write in or something and give me their theory around why this is true but it is always right around two a.m. in the morning It was the very first time it happened. It has been every time since then. Because when I wake up, the first thing I do is I look at the clock, and it's always right at 2 a.m. Right. I don't know what the significance of that is. It is is
1: significant. I'll tell you, uh, you know, I I do talk about the paranormal on the program, and I'm I'm conflicted by a lot of it for obvious reasons. But people talk about 3 a.m. or 2 between 2 and 3 a.m. as being sort of that magic hour when most of these types of experiences happen. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, I've never understood it. And, of course, most of my studies have been limited, you know, to biblical studies and that kind of thing, although I have also had an interest in studying, you know, the New Age and and other kinds of paranormal experiences, like I mentioned NEDs a moment ago. In fact, I'm publishing a new book right now called Afterlife, which does case studies into NEDs, and is it evidence of life after death and that kind of thing. But anyway, for me... Uh, and a man that has an experience has a difficult time trying to explain that to somebody else to the degree that it could somehow help them understand the, the, the potency of it, the impact of it on an individual life. I don't know that you can, but, but in my life, on a few occasions since then, since the, you know, 45 years ago, I have been drawn around 2 a.m., into very, 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 very vivid um, dreamscape. Um, this is not like normal dreaming. It's panoramic, it's full color, it's like a full-on Hollywood special effects type thing, and so far as I know, when I'm in it, it is absolutely real. I'm not aware at all that I am in a night vision. And by the way, the New Testament uh, it has a word for this in the Greek. It's called ecstasia. Uh, it's actually from which we make the word ecstasy. <laughs> but in the New Testament, it's not ecstasy in, you know, the way we typically translate that today. Uh, P- uh Peter in the New Testament, the book of Acts, it says he, f- he fell into a trance. Uh, and he began seeing things. The Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church says uh, that he was caught up into the third heaven, and whether he was in the body or out of the body, he did not know. Right. That's the that's the Greek ecstasia, and I think that that is what this is, but in any case, on a few occasions in my life, I've been shown things in dream states that happened, and, and so far, so far, 100% of the time, they have come to pass exactly as I have seen them. My family could testify to this. And I'll give you a, a for instance, by the way, that your audience would be able to both verify and identify with. 2010, mm-hmm. um, in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, all of a sudden, this very vivid um, depiction plays out in my mind as I'm asleep, um, and I, part of it I can't explain. Uh, it's like I can hear a large engine that is running in the background. I don't have no clue what that means, but I see these very dark clouds that are rising up over the Vatican, right? And it's very spooky, very eerie, and suddenly I wake up and I set up in bed, And in that moment, I know that Pope Benedict XVI is going to resign, and not only that he's going to, but exactly when he's going to. Now, I can prove this because I wrote the book Petrus Romanus. Chris Putnam and I were out doing television programs. Chris Putnam did not want me to say on radio or television that Benedict was going to resign in April of 2012 because he thought if it didn't happen, it was going to Uh hurt the book that we were on book tour with at that time, but I started doing it anyway. So I I did this on Sid Roth's It's Supernatural. I did it on, I think, Coast to Coast with George Norrie. I did it with Jim Baker on his program. I did it on Prophecy Watchers, and some of these are out there on YouTube. People can go and watch them. Where in 2011, one year before the resignation of Pope Benedict, uh, I said, Pope Benedict is going to Resign. He's going to retire, and he's going to do it in April of 2012. Now, here's something
1: interesting, Richard. Thomas, I'm going to jump in here because we're going to take a quick time out. When we'll come back, this will be a bit of a cliffhanger. We'll um, we'll pick up on this point. Okay. Thomas Horn, The Wormwood Prophecy, NASA, Donald Trump, and a cosmic cover-up of End Time proportions. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Curiosity,
0: or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free
1: at 1-866-740-4740. All right, welcome back. We will uh, take uh, phone calls in the second hour. So if you have a a question, comment uh, burning inside you, just keep your powder dry. We will uh open up the phone lines at the top of the hour Thomas Horn stays with us the wormwood prophecy and uh, Thomas you were telling us about this um this vivid dream this prescient dream you had about the the uh, resignation of Pope Benedict the 16th you had it a year before or at least no 2 years before i guess sometimes in in 2010 but it uh, he he actually stepped down unprecedented he stepped down in april of 2012 so uh you wanted to finish off that story
0: yeah
2: so here i was i'm out there on in all this media some of it with large audiences i'm i'm and i'm going out on a limb right and uh my buddy chris putnam who's since passed away very young 50 years of age heart failure um but uh he's you know my research companion in the book petrus romanus which became an international bestseller uh, and he's concerned that if I'm saying this and it don't happen, then you know people are going to you know they're going to say that our book's a crock or whatever. Right. But I just felt compelled to do it because I knew that this had never failed me before. So here's a very interesting thing: your audience will will love this. So here I am, 2011, and I'm saying I believe Pope Benedict is going to resign in April of 2012. Now, 2012 comes and goes does not appear that Benedict XVI has resigned. Uh, And at that time, I started getting, you know, a lot of emails, especially from Catholics, Uh, my Catholic friends who were telling me, you see, you have no idea what you're talking about. Popes don't resign. They die in office. And that had been true for more than 500 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it was super unlikely that this was going to happen. Uh, and at that point, I thought, "Oh, okay. Well, this is this has never failed me before, but now suddenly something's different." Uh, but then, February twenty eighth, two thousand and thirteen, the Vatican announces that Pope Benedict the sixteenth has stepped down; that he has resigned. And that very same day, people can Google this and read it for themselves. That very same day. The Vatican's news media outlet, the El Observatorio Romano, gave an interview uh, to um, a journalist at the New York Times, and in that interview, they said Pope Benedict actually, officially, secretly resigned when he returned from a trip in April of 2012. Bingo! And the Vatican had been keeping it secret. Uh, they had taken a, a a little building that the nuns had been using that was there at St. Peter's Square. They were remodeling it, getting it ready to be the the apartment that the emeritus pope was going to live in. So they had all their reasons why they were doing. They wanted to get the you know the 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 conclave ready and all that for the vote. But the point was, brother, starting that day and for probably six months, my phone was ringing off the hook. And I had CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Everybody was asking me uh, if I would – CNN, in fact. I turned them down a couple times. I told them I don't do fake news. But they
3: said, (laughs) well, we
2: will will come to Springfield. We have a a facility there we can use as a remote studio. We want to interview you. We want to know, you know, who – uh, was your insider at the Vatican. How could you possibly have known this a year in advance? Now the problem, Richard, and I know because of your program and the program you host that you understand this, was there would be no way to explain to them how I knew. They would never get it. They would never understand it. They would never buy the idea of supernaturalism or a revelation um, they would just never get that, and so I turned down all interview opportunities except the ones where I knew that they, you know, that they understood. Right,
1: Sid Roth, Coast to Coast.
2: Yeah, yeah, even yeah, even Coast to Coast. I went on and did it with George Norrie, and, and we talked about it on there. Now, what? Now, why am I talking about all of that? And what does this have to do with the Wormwood prophecy? Because now. For the third time in my life, the, at some point in the future, we'll do a different program. I'll tell you the first time I ever made predictions that involved the death of a man and some other things and gave it to the Oregon District of the Assemblies of God uh, in uh, uh, Oregon, and it came to pass exactly. And I wrote it all down and sent it to them, and it came to pass exactly, as I had stated. But I'll tell you about that one at some other point. So early this year, this was the third time. Uh, and this always happens. 2 a.m. 2 a.m., but also I can't make it happen. It's God. Uh, and it's beyond me. Um, and it's God as I perceive it. Um, and so early this year, 2019, uh, I go to bed, not expecting anything. 2 a.m., I suddenly enter into the—and this one— is the most vivid, most terrifying dream state uh, yet, in which I saw what looked like a horn. It looked like a fiery serpent, like a dragon, way, way up in the heavens, hundreds of feet wide, plunging through the heavens, <clears throat> racing towards the earth at this incomprehensible speed. Um, and I... And I absolutely have no clue what I'm looking at. Then, all of a sudden, you know how it is in a dream, your point of view can change rapidly. My point of view changes, and suddenly I'm up above this terrifying dragon, and I could see that, in fact, what it was was a large space rock, an asteroid. Mm. And due to the way that it's rotating and the way the light of the sun is playing off the contours of this huge stone, it only makes it look like it's moving serpent-like or undulating through space towards the earth. Now, all of a sudden, I see myself, I'm back on Earth again. And I'm on top of this very tall hill, and there's a huge crowd of people around me, and we are all running as fast as we possibly can as this thing behind our back is racing towards the earth, hordes of people. And everybody, by the way, everybody is screaming, crying out to their gods uh, to deliver them from what is coming. Then I hear this incredible, incredible boom. I hear a cracking sound, and all of the ground beneath us starts, and everybody falls down. You can't stand up. Um, and uh, I, I, I look over my shoulder to see that whatever this thing is, it has plunged into what I perceive to be the Pacific Ocean. It's knocked us all off of our feet. This massive form sends this whole sequence of tsunamis, hundreds of feet in height, uh, moving just rapidly, slamming into the coastal terrains, all you know, basically all around the world. My perception is going back and forth. I'm seeing it as if I'm on the ground, and then I'm seeing it as if I'm, it's God's point of view, and I'm looking down upon the earth. All of a sudden, I see this massive wall of water, and it's coming up over the top of the hill that me and everybody else is on, and we're running uh and and I know that there is no way in the world we're going to escape this. At that moment I know we're all dead. We're all dying and everybody is screaming. It's the most, it's just the most terrifying thing ever. All of a sudden the atmosphere is infused with scorched particles of aerosol and vapor that are coming up off of the ocean. Uh there's this blistering culmination of moisture and extreme heat that's rising up from the sea into the earth's atmosphere which and by the way, what's funny is I don't know anything about atmospheric conditions. I don't, I'm not a meteorologist. I don't know how weather works. But as I'm in this dream state, I see this heat rising up, and all of a sudden the atmosphere is infused with these high-velocity hurricanes uh, and debris being kicked up. From the ground, from a second impact, actually, which I go into in the book, and we don't have time on this program to, you know, try to recreate all of these details. Uh, but it's devastating. So all this material is moving up into the earth, and for about a week, darkness covers the sky worldwide as the entire landscape is pounded by these hurricanes and atmospheric annihilation. And, and then somehow I'm aware that about a week later, The waters are starting to settle, the storms are starting to subside, the sky is growing clear, and a great deal of life on Earth is dead. Right at that moment, I wake up. I set up in my bed, Richard, so quickly that I literally almost fell out of bed. Uh, I always keep a writing pad next to my bed in case this happens. I I set up in my bed, I grab my writing paper and my pen, I'm going to start writing down what I saw and it was literally as if a voice in the room whispered in my ear one word and that is the word apophis mm. now i you know i will admit that I, I didn't know really anything about it i knew that there was an i didn't at that time by the way i didn't even realize it was an egyptian god but i knew that there was an ancient god of chaos by the name of Apophis I also knew that NASA had named an asteroid Apophis but I didn't know anything about it at all and so I got up I started writing down everything that I had seen I went to my computer and I started doing the research long story short all of that is what wound up causing me both to write the uh, book um, the Wormwood Prophecy, and convinced me, and we can go into this if you want to, convinced me that in about nine years from right now, Friday the 13th, April 2029, Apophis is going to strike the Earth and that it is the fulfillment of Revelation 8 as the uh, Wormwood
1: asteroid. All right, Thomas, you'll hold it right there. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and uh, delve into Apophis. Is this a planet killer? Is this a fulfillment of Revelation 8, verses 10 and 11? Is Apophis Wormwood? We'll discuss with Thomas Horn on the other side. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. From somewhere deep inside the
0: Great White North, the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer
1: Radio, AM
0: seven forty.
1: Welcome back, longtime TV and radio personality, best-selling author, publisher Thomas Horn is with us. He is also the CEO of Skywatch TV. And his latest, The Wormwood Prophecy. NASA, Donald Trump, and a Cosmic Cover-Up of End Time Proportions. Well, Thomas, you've certainly established your bona fides in terms of these prescient dreams. Um, so uh, um, this asteroid, this space rock that happens to be named after the Egyptian god of chaos, um, give, us, give us its vitals. How, how big is it? Where is it situated? Uh, and so forth
2: yeah so um, this was discovered uh, in June of 2004 astronomers at the Kitt Peak National Observatory detected this sizable asteroid heading uh, toward Earth and so they began studying it they brought it to uh, NASA's NEOWISE team's attention and pretty soon all of the leading astronomers were um, looking at it, and you know d- the ideas around trajectory and abedo And
1: you mentioned you know, Neo- and, NEOWISE. Let me just—that's uh, uh, Near Earth Object Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer. Their hey, job, look, their job is to is to keep an eye out for these things, right?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, they, you know, they're essentially right now they're monitoring one hundred and sixty five thousand known asteroids. But people should be aware that you know it. it It could be that even the majority of asteroids to this day continue to be undetected. Uh, in fact, NASA's own statistics say that probably 70% of space threats right now remain undetected. And many of them, they only pick them up, right, you know, when they're within days of entering our atmosphere. Those are the smaller car sized ones. Um, but wormwood. Uh, apophis, and excuse me if I use the term "wormwood" as I'm referring to an asteroid. You'll know I'm talking about Apophis because that's the way it is in my head now. But discovered 2004. Now, the diameter. You ask about the, you know, the particulars. Uh, it's estimated to be approximately 370 meters, or. Uh, 1,200 feet across, or to put that into perspective, and yay, the Dallas Cowboys finally won a game today (laughs) against an above-500 team, right? Um, But uh, this is approximately four football fields. Mm. Now, this stone uh, is estimated to be about 20 million metric tons. It is traveling at 28,000 miles an hour, um so all of that you know if a person is an impact specialist and when i wrote the book the wormwood prophecy uh through my friend lieutenant colonel robert McGinnis, who is uh, um
1: oh a i know senior, bob very well yes
2: he's a senior analyst at the pentagon well anyway i got a hold of him and i said can you put me in contact with an impact specialist that works for the government, which he did now that's in the book, and we talk to these different people and basically, what they're saying is this this is a mind bending mass, a potential inertia velocity encounter that the average human cannot even begin to uh fathom uh if a poppus does impact the earth, they're mapping. Um, um, program tells them that it is most likely um, that it is going to hit the air somewhere around the coastlines of California and Mexico, so a very highly, densely populated uh, area. Um, the impact is going to unleash a blast, the equivalent of over a billion tons of TNT. Mm. Now, to put that into perspective, that's an explosion larger Uh, than nearly all nukes on Earth today going off all at the same time in one place. Or to also put it into perspective, it would be equivalent to 65,000 of the Hiroshima nuclear bombs that sunk Nagasaki, so um, all in one place. Uh, it, It would probably crack the mantle of the Earth.
1: It's a planet killer several times over.
2: Um, it, it could be. Depending on where it hits the Earth, NASA's own statistics say um, that it's going to be at a minimum tens of millions, but probably more in the billions of deaths, mm. just from the initial impact. Now, if you're not a prophecy believer and you don't think the way that my worldview uh, tends to look at this stuff, uh, then you would look at this and say that you know the, the impact from years of climate disruption is going to literally lead to a near, if not an earth-destroying uh, phenomenon, nearly that. A huge amount of the earth is going to be destroyed, and of course that's what's implied in Revelation chapter 8, many men, which in the, in the language there it means a huge number of people on earth uh, are going to die all at one time.
1: And now, its ETA I, was April 13th, 2029.
2: Yeah, so get that date, right? Friday the 13th, hmm. 2029. Now, uh, in the beginning, NASA uh, and the people at Kitt Peak National Observatory and the NEOWISE team, they believed that there was um, a measurable chance that a is going to strike the Earth on that date in about nine years from now. Now, later, they changed their dating, and Richard, um, this is where I suggest in the book, The Wormwood Prophecy, that there is a cover-up. And we can go into some of the reasons why I say that, but they changed their dating, and now they say that it is probably not going to impact the Earth on that date in nine years from now. Now, here's what's amazing about this.
1: Hang on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in again. Pardon the interruption. We'll uh, break away for a, just a moment or two. We'll come back. Thomas Horn, uh, telling us about this potential planet killer, Apophis. Something wicked this way comes. Is it Friday, April the 13th, 2029? Well, Neowise, that is the uh, the agency charged with tracking these uh, these asteroids, these space rocks. They say, no, wait a minute now. Just hold on. Sounds like a cover up. Thomas Horn will explain on the other side. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Sarrett. Stay with us.
0: Strap yourself in. You're about to leave everything you thought you knew behind. The Conspiracy Show
1: with Richard Sarrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Just a quick programming note. Uh, a few days ago, I was driving in the car, and I didn't have my uh, my cell phone uh, on Bluetooth, so I couldn't pick up. Normally, I can I can talk with Bluetooth. I didn't want to do, uh, you know, I didn't want to talk on the phone without the hands free operating. And uh, it was a message, a rather cryptic message from Ambassador Lee Wanta, uh, who has been on this program before, but it's been quite a while. And he left kind of a cryptic message, hinting that he had some blockbuster new information. Uh, So we're going to endeavor to get uh, the gentleman uh, who goes by a number of names, including uh, President Reagan's secret agent. uh, And also, um, what's the other name he goes by? What is it now? 67 trillion dollar man or something like that. Anyway, he's uh, he's credited. uh, Well, self-confessed secret agent who who says he brought down the Soviet Union using uh, a number of currency swaps and different complicated financial maneuvers without firing a shot. That was uh, Lee Wanta working behind the scenes who did that, he claims. Anyway, he'll. Uh, we, we hope we'll have him on the program uh, next week. Right now, Thomas Horn stays with us. The Wormwood Prophecy. And uh, we were talking about the Near-Earth Object Wide-Field Infrared Survey, NEOWISE. And uh, they... Or it sounds like they're trying to maybe obfuscate, muddy the water, uh, re- with regard re- regards to Apophis's ETA. Um, so, carry on. What 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 are they saying now about Apophis?
2: Yeah. So, um, if we get time, I will tell you how I know this to be a fact as much as anybody can, because. Um, I have two different friends that work inside NASA with above top secret security clearance and I can prove it. Uh one of them is I barely know. The other one has been a friend for years. If we get a chance we'll go to that. But let's just let me let me put it this way. If a person gets the book, The Wormwood Prophecy, and by the way, uh right now we have the biggest giveaway in the history of Skywatch Television if people go to skywatchtv.com right at the top they'll see like a video up there and there's an ad they can click on but we are giving away nine hundred dollars in free merchandise when people buy the wormwood prophecy through our skywatch tv it's insane people ask me how in the world we can even do that um... but we're doing it because we're we're desperate to try to get this book in the hands of as many people as we possibly can Now. If if they get the book, and if they read the Wormwood Prophecy, they're going to find that while the book is nonfiction, we actually begin the first chapter of the book uh, with a narrative. And it is describing something similar to, like, the opening scenes of the movie Deep Impact. Did yes. you see that movie? Okay. Oh, yes. Well, you have a comet, and it's hurtling towards Earth. It could mean the end, uh, you know, of all or much of human life. And the U.S. government, and not just the U.S. government, international space agencies, there are 70 of them, which is an interesting number, 70 of them around the world. uh, And they are trying to keep the threat under wraps. Why? Out of fear that public chaos uh, would lead to martial law and just absolute disruption and chaos out of, and, and that is, by the way, that is what I saw uh, in my night vision, in my dream. Utter chaos. People in utter panic, running in every direction, begging their gods to deliver them. But anyway, the, the, the book starts out with this narrative. And then, after you read Chapter 1's narrative, where all these international space agencies are working together behind the scenes, trying to figure out some way to mitigate... The Threat of Apophis. Um, Then it goes to uh, Chapter 2, and it says Chapter 1 was fiction, or is it? Mm. Uh, And don't, you know, sigh a breath of relief thinking that there's no real cause for alarm, because the truth is there are significant reasons that I've come to believe that undisclosed facts that are stranger and scarier... Then the opening fictional narrative uh, should chill people to the bone. And yeah, it involves a cover-up of the highest order by national space agencies, including at NASA. And then I immediately go into verifying that fact so that people understand that I'm not alone in my conspiratorial thinking. For example, um, I cite a recent peer-reviewed paper uh, long name. Let me give you the name of this so that people can Google it and read it for themselves. Here's the name of the peer-reviewed paper in, a, in an astronomy science magazine. Here's what it's called. It's called, quote, An Empirical Examination of Wise, neowise, wise Near-Earth Object, Wide-Field Infrared Survey, Explorer, Asteroid
1: Analysis, and Results. It's catchy. That's-
2: Yeah, that's the name of it, (laughs) but it is by Nathan Mirvold, Uh some of your listeners will already know who Nathan is.
1: Bill Gates' second brain, as you call him in the uh,
2: book. That's exactly right, former chief uh, tech officer at Microsoft. He's a true polymath. He's a working scientist. Uh, He's published, and I've read a lot of his papers, original research in paleobiology, climatology, but more importantly, with regard to the Wormwood prophecy, astronomy. Uh, he he holds over 800 U.S. patents. Uh, the Economist, by the way, describes Mirvold as Bill, uh, Bill Gates' second brain, and they're the ones that point out that he is almost always on the A list of the world's 100 greatest scientific thinkers. So this guy's got credentials. He is he is highly respected, um, and uh, has the what? you know, has the credentials to back it up. But in his paper, and you have to read this paper, um, because he charges NASA and the Wise team with a cover-up. He talks about systematic errors and consistencies, all that, but then he goes beyond that, and literally almost to the point of being a whistleblower. You know, everybody in um, in the government right now talking about whistleblowers, Well, he's a real whistleblower who says that NASA has deliberately—these are his words—deliberately misreported the threat uh, by uh, these near-Earth objects. Uh, He says that they have behaved extremely deceptively with deliberate scientific misconduct in a cover-up of very real potential imminent space threats. Now, he's not the only one. I go through a series of these in the book to provide some backup for my claim by persons who would be highly respected, uh, who likewise are saying there is a cover-up, and then, of course, it becomes a question of, you know, what is it that they're covering up?
1: Let me just, uh, because we've just got a, about a minute here before the top of the hour, and we'll carry on. Uh, into the second hour, Thomas Horn will stay with us for the entire show, and we'll open up the phone lines as well. But just let me ask you a couple of things about NEOWISE. First of all, uh, who who funds them? Are they a government agency? Are they funded by NASA? Are they a branch of NASA?
2: Yeah, they're a branch of NASA. They are
1: funded through NASA,
2: but they're, of course, funded by me and you, uh, taxpayers through the federal government as part of our space agency.
1: Okay, so they publish this data. Uh, that, that and they talk about near Earth objects that may be a threat; those that aren't, and they're using some sort of a mathematical formula, I guess. And so, um, this great thinker, Bill Gates' second brain, um, he is saying that their 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 mathematical calculations are deceptive in order to to hide the truth. Is that yeah. the gist of it?
2: Uh, well, he he says, here's a quote. From his paper, I just gave everybody the title. They can just actually Google Mirvold uh, and, and astronomy or whatever, and they'll find this paper because it's, it's out there now. And it was published only, I don't know, maybe 120 days ago. Uh, and he says this, quote, the issues that I am calling misconduct in the Neowise papers were not inadvertent. In other words, these are not mistakes. They are deliberate, he says, choices made repeatedly by the Wise team over a long period of time. These actions have caused the astronomical community to work under the false belief that the Wise results are more accurate, in other words, have smaller errors, than the evidence actually warrants, in quote. So it's a long paper, and I highly recommend it because of his bona fides. Right. But, but what Mirvold is saying is that the largest database in the world, more than all other sources combined, of information detailing the diameters and the albedo and the properties of 164,000-plus asteroids is suffering from intentionally, not, not just poor science, not just rushed calculations, but intentionally manipulated information at worst, or inadequate analysis at best, with the net result being that the public is being kept in the dark regarding, and then it's the big question mark, what? question mark. What is it that they are trying to hide? And I I spend the entire book making the case that they are covering up for the real threat that is represented by Apophis in just nine years from now.
1: All right. We'll uh, take a time out. And when we come back, second hour, Thomas stays with us. The Wormwood Prophecy, NASA, Donald Trump, and a Cosmic Cover-Up of End Time Proportions will also Open up the phone lines and take questions and comments. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home, long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling electric fireplace and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A big howdy to everyone listening in on our flagship station, AM 740, 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio here in Toronto. Hiya to those of you tuning us in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey you, streaming us live on the Zoomer Radio app and the YouTube channel Strange Planet. How do, to those of you in the uh, YouTube live chat, however and wherever you're listening, I bid the, the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Thomas Horn, author of The Wormwood Prophecy, uh, stays with us this hour, and we will also open up the phone lines for questions and comments at 416-360-0740. That's in the Greater Toronto Area, 416 360 0, 0740 and toll free from just about anywhere one eight six six seven forty 740 740 Uh so neo wise um have they have they talked publicly about apophis or is this information from your uh, your insiders at NASA
2: yeah, they, they did. I mean, if you go back to 2004, they and the uh, Kitt Peak National Observatory astronomers and others uh, begin studying. By the way, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory at the California Institute of Technology. So all these different agencies um, were looking at this brand new asteroid that was discovered. And naming it a process, by the way, is is interesting on a lot of levels that we probably won't even get time to talk about well, tonight.
1: You're right, because if it was so innocuous, they would give it a rather banal name, because a lot of them are just numbers. They just number them. But here they call it, they name it after the Egyptian god of chaos, for crying out loud.
2: Yeah, the god of chaos, the god of destruction. But this is also connected to some very important dates. We Again, we probably won't get time to talk about this, But if you get into Christian eschatology, especially dispensationalism and what some people believe, um, i got my my buddy, by the way, Steve Quayle. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: uh, I'm picking him up tomorrow. He's going to fly in on a private jet like he always does, and I'm bringing him in. We're going to shoot some programs. Uh, So I've got guys like Steve Quayle, uh, and they do not believe in what dispensationalists would call a pre-tribulation rapture. I've got other friends, like Gary Stearman, who do. And so um, when I started looking at the Friday the 13th date for Apophis striking the earth, what shocked me was that if it is, in fact, biblical wormwood, uh, most Bible expositors believe that the trumpet judgments happen in the middle of what they would call the great tribulation the 7 year period right right so i took the date and backed it up and exactly to the day 3.5 years so the you know if it's the middle of the tribulation when apostas strikes back up 3.5 years and if you want to talk about this later in the program we can but it strikes the most important jewish feast days that are connected to what these biblical expositors believe are connected to the rapture of the Church, the beginning of the Great Tribulation, it's, it's just fascinating. But staying with, from the scientific side of it, you mentioned Wise, and, you know, what are they saying and what are they doing? Um, I don't want people to think that Miravold is the only scientist in this book that backs up what I'm saying. There's a whole list of people. For example, mathematician Harry Lear is another well-known uh, scientist, Uh, He believes that Apophis is definitely going to strike the Earth in 2029, and he's even written a letter uh, to Donald Trump begging him to have the uh, astronomers that work at NASA and inside the government recalculate uh, their mathematics around Apophis, and he sent all of his reasoning to Donald Trump around why April the 13th, 2029 is the date on which this monster rock is going to impact the Earth. Again, NASA recently had like Robert Frost, who's one of their leading astronomers, and you might have saw him, he's like in some of the British uh, newspapers and tabloids and stuff and being interviewed by them. And he too, talking about this, saying that there's 100% chance, 100% chance, that that this earth, you know, fracturing rock is going to strike the earth, <laughs> and saying that the only thing <clears> the <throat> public is going to be able to do is hunker down and pass out Bibles and learn how to pray. Um, so little by little, here's what's going to happen. As you know, Derek and Sharon Gilbert work for my SkyWatch television, Derek Sahol, Sharon uh, has her degrees in science and, and uh, basically hers are in uh, uh, bioethics. Um, but both of them point out how that around 2029. Hang on. Sorry, I had somebody literally walk into the room just now. <laughs>
1: um, Wasn't from NASA, was it? Was he? <laughs>
2: no. Not from NASA, but it did make me forget the point that I was going to make.
1: You were talking about Derek and Sharon Gilbert on their program, and uh, I don't know if that helps, that prompt.
2: Let's but, just move on. Okay. If it comes back to me, I'll. Say All right. What
1: but it I, want, I wanted to ask you because uh, you mentioned uh, Trump, and, and we had this announcement about the Space Defense Force, this sixth branch of the US military. And, and you know, there are several reasons one can imagine you would want to start a space defense force. You have space based weapons, killer satellites, and so forth. You have some might su- suggest a possible alien invasion. But it sounds like you're suggesting the timing of this Space Defense Force has nothing to do with any of those reasons. It has everything to do with the POFIS.
2: I actually think it may have something to do with both. Um, You know, don't forget that the idea of the Space Force isn't new. Um, This goes all the way back to Ronald Reagan. Um, And uh, and especially now that technology has changed, the idea of digital warfare, Uh, Colonel McGinnis, once again, who's been on your program evidently, um, you know, could, could elaborate uh, on the need for a space defense force. Um, but um, it was Trump that brought the concept to the forefront of the public mind, the general public. Uh, and, uh, and now uh, I saw a, a news report on it this week, The literally the billions of dollars that are being set aside to be spent over the next five years to set up the Space Force. The U.S. Space Command is the fifth branch of the U.S. military. Um, and, uh, but in addition to digital warfare, they are also considering the idea of an asteroid threat, and that according to their own press releases, their own information. So I'm not stretching here trying to make a connection
1: Right. So current technology uh does not allow uh to to avert such an impact. We couldn't use nuclear missiles, we couldn't no. use no.
2: Absolutely not. Here, so here's so here's the interesting part about this. I know some of the people around Donald Trump that are part of his faith community. I've done programs with them. Um and uh and I know that they are in his ear uh and these are prophecy believers and they are whispering to him about wormwood, Um, And that's not a stretch. Anybody that knows anything about the people around Donald Trump that are part of that faith community know that these are people that are believers in end times prophecy. Um, And uh, so that is a piece of this. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's every part of why the Space Force has been launched, but I'm saying that it is a part of it because Asteroid mitigation is a part of what the of what NASA, Neil, and everybody else are publicly admitting now. You know, I mentioned a moment ago that some of their own astronomers are. You know, they're doing media right now, and and one of the, NASA's astronomers, you know, uh, was in the British tabloids recently, um, and he and he admitted. He said there is no way that we could stop this asteroid the size of it, the scope of it, how fast it's traveling. There is no way that we can target this. We're not going to send Bruce Willis uh, and his you know, team of, of astronauts up into space with nukes and nuke uh, Apophis because it's too large. Um, and so first of all, you'd probably miss it because it's moving too quickly. But secondly, even if you hit it, um, its its gravitational field is so strong because of the size and scope of it that if you blew little bits and pieces of it off, it's just going to draw those parts back together. And now what you've done is probably fulfilled uh, Revelation chapter 8 in that you have radiated this giant rock, so it impacts the Earth, it blasts all this radiation now up into the upper atmosphere that moves around because of the air currents in the upper atmosphere and rains down on the earth radiation that's what NASA's own (laughs) astronomer was talking about uh... and and perhaps and I go into different ways in the book in which uh... wormwood could poison a third of the waters but radiation is one of them based on our own efforts to try to blow this thing up Right.
1: Um, are there, surely there are a whole host of very b- bright, uh, amateur astronomers out there or, or even professional astronomers who also know this. Um, it seems to me several years ago, uh, there was a, um, an astronomer in Australia who who suddenly who died under rather mysterious circumstances, there may even be a death list. You know, there seems to be a death list for everybody. Uh, you know, um, naturopaths and JFK assassination witnesses and Clinton uh, associates. I'm sure, is there a death list for astronomers, too, who might know the truth?
2: Well, it seems like there could be, but here's the thing. Um, within, and, and I just now remembered what Sharon Goldberg had said, and she's right, uh, within... Oh, you know, four years, let's say, five years from right now, they won't be able to cover this up anymore. And that is because every home astronomer who can afford a, you know, somewhat commercial um, telescope is going to be able to look up into deep space and see Apophis headed towards Earth. And then within six years from right now, you'll be able to see it with a naked eye at nighttime. Is a very bright spot headed towards Earth. Um, and then by 2028, the Earth is going to be in a panic. And so all I can tell you is if, if if people don't want to believe what I'm saying, obviously that's everybody's option. But so far, what I've seen has not been incorrect. In fact, I often wondered, you know, why did God allow me to see the exact date on which Benedict XVI um, was going to resign, and it was accurate. Why did why did that? I don't. What's that got to do with anything? I mean, is it a piece of a puzzle? It it confuses me. But it wasn't until the other day that uh, George Nori on Coast to Coast AM said something that resonated with me. He said he allowed you to see that because the whole world saw that. Everybody on earth knows that you did that prediction and you were right. And he did that to allow this wormwood to be legitimized in their mind. That if he was correct on something so abstract as the resignation of Pope Benedict, something that had not happened in 500 plus years, and got it to the month and year. then maybe we ought to stop and, and listen to what he's saying about Apophis.
1: Tell me about the simulation that scientists and strategists ran in Maryland back in May of this year.
2: Hang on. Remind me what we're talking about now.
1: Uh, 2019, they ran sort of a simulation which assumed a major asteroid impact in, was it College Park, Maryland?
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so you had all these um, strategists from all over the globe that took part. It was college part. You're right. Um, the purpose of it was to just basically try to create a scenario in which we discover that an asteroid is racing towards the Earth. And now what are we going to do about it? So you get all these you know, skilled individuals that start talking hypothetically about what they're going to do. And they know that this asteroid is going to impact the Earth in a 10-year period Uh, and so it was a whole five-day simulation, uh, and it included uh, all of the scenarios, you know, day one, day two, day three, day four. Uh, Day one, we discover the asteroid. Day two, it's, uh, you know, we know that it's coming. There's no way we're going to stop it, so on and so forth. Day four, we tried. We failed. It's headed to the East Coast. Day five, we did all we could, and it wasn't enough, Uh, and throughout that five-day exercise, the participants were faced with all of these foreseeable angles of the asteroid collusion scenario and at the end of the day nothing we could do about it and it wiped out a large part of planet earth and now but again what i would the, the question i would raise is why was that game played out and i think it's soft disclosure and I think you're going to see more and more leading up to about four to five years from right now. And finally, you know, home astronomers are going to be able to do their own calculations, and more and more questions are going to rise, and they won't be able to hide it forever. And that's the scenario in the beginning of my book and at the end of the book, where I do the fictional narrative Uh based on what I think is actually happening behind the scenes right now.
1: Billy Meyer, a famous UFO contactee, um, he claimed, I think, 1981, that he had been told by his alien contact, a a council of ETs, or whatever you want to call them, he was told about an asteroid hitting the Earth in 2029. Uh, Now, Billy Meyer and his alien contacts, that doesn't exactly line up with sort of you know, uh, a biblically approved list of sources. But what do you, what do you think Billy Meyer's on to?
2: Um, well, so, uh, yeah, I will say a couple of things. Um, it, it was in the early 80s. Billy uh, Meyer did talk about a prediction. He said it was given to him by an alien by the name of Quetzal which I can only assume is named after Quetzalcoatl, the uh, serpent god of Aztec and Mayan fame. Uh, but he did. Uh, many years ago, he talked about a red meteor that he said was going to collide with the Earth in 2029. So, same year. Uh, and he said it was going to, you know, make contact somewhere along the tectonic plate of the nor- uh, from the North Sea to the Black Sea. Um, so, I've got Christian friends um, that would cast aspersions on his claims because he was coming from a different worldview. So he's talking about extraterrestrials and ETs and all that kind of thing. And other people that have said that some of his claims were uh, retrodictions, meaning that he made them up after the fact, or that some of them are being made up today by other people that are taking his predictions and they're saying that he said this, he said that um, after the fact. But the point is um, he did seem 25 years before the discovery of Apophis to be talking about what he called a red meteor that would strike the earth in 2029. And some of his predictions are pretty eerie actually. Uh, Now, If there are people that are listening to this program, and they're Christians like I am, and maybe they would say, well, what in the world? Why would you give any credence to an individual like Billy Mayer, Mayer, whatever you say his name? Um, I would just remind people that we do know, uh, even from the Bible, that there are uh, non-Christians, that sometimes accurately predict the future. Uh, For example, Nebuchadnezzar illustrates how in times past God sometimes actually used non-believers, non-covenant, non-Hebrew, whatever you want to call them, to utter these divine insights. There's an amazing case in point uh, in which uh, God chose to reveal uh, a prophecy spanning from 605 B.C. through the second coming of Christ to this arrogant, narcissistic, idol-worshiping Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it required God's prophet Daniel to interpret the dream, but um, but he still gave it to this individual that, you know, it's probably not going to be uh, ordained, <laughs> <laughs> you know. By
1: the Assemblies of God. Right. So if he he gave information to Nebuchadnezzar, why not Billy Meyer? Listen, we haven't taken another time out, Thomas. We'll be back. Uh, Boy, this is dire. This is grim. The Wormwood Prophecy, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
0: The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sand from Zuma Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740.
1: Thomas Horn is here with some very grim news. It's all detailed in the Wormwood Prophecy. NASA, Donald Trump, and a cosmic cover-up of End Time proportions. If this really is end times, we're talking about Friday, April the 13th, 2029, and there's nothing we can do about it, why tell us?
2: Well, for the same reason that the Bible might, um, and that is to warn people of what is coming in the future and to cause them to evaluate who they are, where they are, what their relationship with God is, what their relationship with the Creator is. Um, and again, you know, you know, Jesus said to the Pharisees of his day, he said, which of the prophets have not your fathers murdered? <laughs> right? Um, people don't, they don't want to hear this stuff, and frankly, I don't actually want to talk about it. Uh, I'm, I'm actually a reluctant individual here. Um, when I woke up out of this dream, I was terrified to the bone. And the last thing on earth I wanted to do is what I'm doing right now, where I am saying to people, this is coming. And there is nothing that NASA can do to stop it. And they know there is nothing they can do to stop it. And right now, you know, people can just listen to me uh, talk about it, and they can say, well, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe not, whatever, but in five to six years from now, things are going to change. And in six to seven years from now, the world is going to be on its face crying out to their different gods, begging those gods to deliver them from what is coming. Now, as as a as a a positive individual. I would want to believe that um, if enough people were crying out to God, it could be averted, and we've seen that in Scripture too. There are examples in Scripture. Uh, you know, uh, Jonah. Um, the 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 judgment against Nineveh was absolutely certain. But he said, "If you pray, if you repent, sackcloth and ashes—the whole thing—then perhaps this will be averted." And it was. Um, you know, you know, the king Hezekiah's has life being extended. There's examples in the Bible uh, that if people do the right thing and they cry out to God, that perhaps these judgments can be averted. What as a as a prophecy believer. Revelation eight is going to happen, but is it going to happen in twenty twenty nine? Might it happen sometime uh, after that? Um, and so, I, again, I, I just feel like that I am what I'm the, I'm the agent. Uh, I'm the person that was given the responsibility to talk about it. And right now, I'm willing to bear, um, you know the repercussions of people mocking me. Um, and, uh, but again, if you read the book, The Wormwood Prophecy, it's not just Tom Horn. It's not just a charismatic guy with a vision. Um, this is also being discussed by some of the greatest minds on Earth today who also are alleging that NASA and other space agencies are involved in a cover-up Uh, revolving around Apophis and the threat that it does pose. Here's a funny thing. NASA says that even if it misses Earth in 2029, their own website says it's going to come so close that it's going to knock out the satellites that are in orbit around our planet. So that is so stupid close that there is no way that you can... Actually say that it's not going to impact right Earth.
1: it would You're cause already
2: a, admitting that it's going to come that close
1: even yeah even if it was a near miss it would cause just the the gravitational force it would cause heat, tremendous seismic activity maybe an e m p event I don't know about that, but it would you know it would be lights out uh um, all over the world and um you know, either way you cut it. Let, let, let's grab a call here. Doug is in Indiana tonight this morning. Doug, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. You're on the line with Thomas Horn. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, Tom, uh,
2: I think you're getting yourself all worked up to an ulcer, and uh, you got to consider that uh, this planet has some really smart, intelligent people in the aerospace industry. In another decade, what we'll be able to do with diverting this potential threat to mankind, will be acting as using thermonuclear weapons either to destroy mankind or to be mankind's best friend by diverting. It all, all it will take will be just a fraction of a degree at the earliest possible moment. We can vary that course of that asteroid, and it would be no sweat. We wouldn't even have to sit there and worry about it. Don't you, know you what? agree? Uh- Doug, I hope you're right. I really honestly do. And I actually go into a lot of this stuff in the book uh, about, you know, mitigation efforts. By the way, I think that there are some technologies right now um, that are not – they're either not being talked about uh, or they're not perfected to the point that they can be talked about. But using lasers and other kinds of technologies to push uh, things – uh, away from the Earth, uh, but as a but as a Christian and a Bible believer, I know that Revelation 8 is going to happen at some point. Uh, a large rock, an asteroid, as it says in the Greek, uh, is going to impact the Earth. So that's that's where I'm coming from. That's my worldview. Um, I hope that it does not happen in 2029. I just believe that it's going to.
1: Doug, thank you for the call. Thank you. Uh, if this is going to happen, and and obviously, uh, there are certain individuals in positions of power that know that would be in the know. One would expect that they would be making efforts, sort of, in the interests of continuity of governance. Uh, you know, so we would we would see, well, <laughs> we'd see a lot of tunneling. We would see uh, government agencies being moved out of Washington, D.C., being relocated, uh, these sorts of things. Are you getting any whiff of that going on?
2: Yeah, I talk about it in the first chapter of the book. And and don't forget that, uh, you know, uh, Project Noah's Ark, there have been uh, government-funded projects uh, over the last 20 years in which um, there are very large underground facilities where there's 20 years of food and stuff like that that's been set aside for the elite, um, and uh, and again, you know, the the um, uh, the narrative that I propose in the opening of the book that's a little bit similar to the movie Deep Impact, um, where they're going to cull whatever they're going to select individuals based on what they could contribute to the betterment and sustainability of humankind uh, to be taken into these underground facilities to be protected. So the, the plans have been in place for a while during the, Jimmy Carter's era. Um, I, would, I would suggest people go and, uh, and Google Jimmy Carter's area the Project Noah's Ark. This is exactly what this was. Being designed for, so that's been in place uh, for some time.
1: Hmm. Uh, and would 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 Trump be talking about this in in conversations with other world leaders? Would this conversation come up at a at a G seven at a G eight, or uh, are they not in the know necessarily?
2: Uh, well, let's just say that many of the people in the G7, the G8. Um, and for that matter, um, you know, the, the 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 individuals that gather uh, uh, what is it called? The um, the forest, you know, there in, in the redwoods.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Um, exactly. What, what is that? Yeah,
2: I'm drawing a blank, but it don't matter. But yeah, so uh, people around the world you know, leaders of countries, they're all involved right now in this conversation. Uh, and uh,
1: so. All right. Let me, let me grab a, another call here. Roger is in San Antonio. Roger, welcome to the conspiracy show. Good morning.
4: Hey, hey, Richard. Uh, hey, this is Roger from uh, Texas. Welcome uh, aboard. I'm uh, here in the, in the chat. A shout out to all of my chat buddies Uh I just had a quick comment um Richard I uh um uh, a couple of weeks ago I was going to talk to you but but I didn't get a chance um you know I was at the JFK conference uh in Dallas and I met I didn't realize that you had actually interviewed John Barber I met John this was back in 2016 and a bunch of other folks and and they all they all know what's going on I mean because you know this this whole thing about deep state and all of that. But um, uh, so I was talking to them and, and they all, they all, uh, on I mean, they're not open about it, but they all appreciate what Trump is doing. And, and all of us in the, in the U.S., I just discovered your show. I saw you actually way back introducing Jim Mars, but um, I just wanted to say, keep doing the great work that you're doing and, and God bless you, brother.
1: All right, Roger. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm not sure if Roger is listening to this broadcast or whether he's hearing it in delay on one of our affiliates. But uh, right now, of course, we are talking about Apophis and uh, Wormwood, the Wormwood prophecy. Um, It has been suggested by uh, people like Richard Dolan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Richard Dolan. He's a noted ufologist, UFO disclosure advocate. But he's a pretty good researcher and a pretty good historian. And he talks about... The elites, he talks about a breakaway civilization that they possess certain technology, um, that is, uh, it almost, well, it, because they are so far ahead of where we are in terms of the technology they possess, they, they could be classified as a separate civilization. And he believes that's, that they may in fact already sort of be off world. They may have that technology. They may have deep space platforms. Um, anyway, we're running up against a break here. I want to, I want to come back to that point and ask you, uh, there's a reason I bring that up, but we'll, uh, we'll come back. More of my conversation with Thomas Horn, The Wormwood Prophecy. More phone calls await as well. 416-360-0740 in the GTA. 416-360-0740. Toll free from just about anywhere. 1-866-740-4740.
0: Where there's smoke, there's the conspiracy
1: show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. We're back with Thomas Horn, longtime TV radio personality, best-selling author, publisher, CEO of SkyWatch TV, SkyWatchTV.com. And uh, if you order the Wormwood Prophecy from the uh, the store there at SkyWatchTV.com, uh, well, there there's just a uh, a ton of bonus material. Uh, that will be made, uh, made available to you for free. Uh, I think I have that right, correct, Thomas?
2: Yeah, we're doing this for the uh, month of December, and it's, it's actually $900. It's just like 70 books, um, survival gear, just a huge amount of product, uh, audio files, so all of that is being made available uh, at no cost for people that buy the Wormwood Prophecy through SkywatchTV.com right now.
1: All right. I was mentioning the, this theory that there's this breakaway civilization. These are the elites uh, that have um, unimaginable technology at their disposal. Some people might believe that it's back-engineered from UFO crashes. Other, Who knows uh, where it comes from? But if they have it, we don't. And... Um, I mean that kind of makes sense, you know. If they're off planet, why politicians or why the elites really just don't seem to give a damn of what what's going on here on the planet? If they are if they are anticipating, if they know about Wormwood uh, and they are already off planet or they have their deep underground uh, bunker, they they really could give a rat's behind about what happens to the rest of us. Does that that make sense? Doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean I think for some people that's probably true. And don't forget that it was in the sixties. Um, you know, you had this a whole decade of deliberation negotiations regarding issues like military disarmament. <clears throat> but they were talking about the outer space treaty. Remember that? Yes. Treaty on principles governing the activities of the states, the exploration of outer space. And 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 if you go and read those papers <clears throat> they're they're actually kind of tantalizing in that they seem to allude to um, knowledge, expertise, technology that are beyond anything that we would understand today. Colonel McGinnis, you know, talking about future war uh, at the Pentagon. This stuff's way beyond that, uh, way beyond weapons of mass destruction. But all of that language was included in the 1960s outer space treaties. Um, and so, I just encourage people to go read that. Now, why am I mentioning that? Because, um, I mentioned that I have a friend. When I was writing the Wormwood Prophecy, I reached out to him. Um, he is a senior flight analyst, uh, with above top secret security clearance at NASA. And again, I can prove this. Um, and, um, he gave me information that echoed kind of what you're talking about right now, that some of the people um, at NASA, NeoWise wise some of the people that are in this community of astronomers who know what's going to happen in 2029 and the plans that they're making around it and what they're doing for their families and all that. Um, and, and originally, I had his name in the book and the Wormwood Prophecy, and Charisma Publishing. I gave them this book, even though I own my own publishing house. I did an experiment with them, a one-time thing. And I gave them the book, uh, and the people from Charisma would verify that I had him in the book, I had information from him in the book. But then, something happened. We were in our um, uh, 2019 conference in Branson, um and he showed up. Derek met him, Sharon met him, but he said, I gotta talk to you. And we went into a back room and in that back room he starts telling me, Hey, you have to take my name and the information that I gave you, you have to take it out of the book immediately. It can't be published. And it turned out that he had been drawn before an adjudicator, uh the uppity ups, um at NASA. Um and uh, he had been threatened, and at a minimum, with losing his you know, his contract with the government, his job, his retirement, all that. But I had a feeling it was something more than that. And he said, you have got to get my name out of there, man. I'm going to be in, I've got major issues, big trouble. So I got a hold of Charisma, and I said, we have to take XYZ's name out of the book, and what he told me, out of the book. Uh, And so we did that. Now, but it was part of the other stuff that he told me that day um, that had to do with probably something kind of like what you're talking
1: about, Richard. Um, Breakaway civilizations?
2: It wasn't just uh, compartmentalization. It was that... um, it was it was also that the asteroid is being viewed as a messenger um you know in the ancient world all these cultures asteroids um these things inspired wonder dread they were saw as arb- uh, harbingers of doom omens of disaster uh messengers of the gods themselves Um, This goes to the Roman prophecies, the Sibylline oracles, the Epic of Gilgamesh, all of these that talked about these uh, asteroids as carrying pertinent information uh, to the Earth. And frankly, I was kind of blown away with what he was telling me. And I'm being really careful here, because I have to be careful that... He can't be connected through this conversation.
1: But. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here. We're going to take another one final time out. And uh, you just get all your ducks in a row. And I know you want to be careful. So during the break, you can have a few moments just to sort of collect yeah, yourself. And we'll come back and uh, you'll lay yet another bombshell on us, I guess, as if we needed one. <laughs> uh, Thomas Horns stays with us. The Wormwood Prophecy right here on The Conspiracy Show. It is time to redefine reality. The Conspiracy Show with Richard
0: Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740.
1: Apophis, a space rock, approximately four football lengths, football fields rather, in length, expected to collide with our planet Friday, April the 13th. 2029, and there's nothing we can do about it uh, short of falling down down on our knees and praying for divine intervention, which is possible. Um, Anyway, you had this NASA insider who you were originally going to publish his name and some of his information in the book, and then he asked you to remove his name. Uh, You were about to tell us about what he had to say vis-a-vis Apophis being some sort of a messenger
2: yeah so I've known him for a long time, and by the way um I've pub i no I won't say that I've published his name elsewhere let me just leave it at that I won't say where um, Derek and Sharon Gilbert met him at our conference um, I've known him for years he's a guy that's known by the known so if you if you look at my publishing house, the people that I publish, including people that are Deeply part of the us Pentagon and places like that, um, he's a guy that is known by them and um, and he has high level security clearance and has to have because when you're a senior flight analyst for NASA, <laughs> you know you got to make sure that you're you're working with projects that terrorists or other crazy people wouldn't be able to, you know, uh, create problems for those projects. But anyway, he came to me, came at the conference, um, and, uh, and he said, you have to get my name out of the book. Now, we went in the back room, and um, he's telling me all about this adjudicator, and he's been drawn in in front of these people, and I've got to get his name out of the book. But then he gets into this, It's a very curious conversation, and it has to do with Apophis as a messenger. Now, here's why why this really struck me. Because a few years ago, I had reached out to him, him and one of his friends. and uh, it was during, if you remember, um, Richard, the European Space Agency's Rosetta mission. Yes. And they landed the probe Philae on what was believed to be um, a comet, yes. Comet 67P. And there was this strange sound that was coming off the comet. Remember that? Yes, yes. Um, and uh, And people were making attempts at these explanations for the phenomenon vibrations being set off by a stream of charged particles ejected from the surface of the space rock, all that kind of stuff. But I I had wondered at the time, okay, I'm willing to accept that that's all there is to this, but because I have a friend, um, two actually, but mostly him, deeply entrenched at the highest levels of our space agencies, I reached out. Uh, and I said, "This thing they're calling it the song, the song. You can actually still go to Google now and, and you know, type in the Rosetta song, and you can get the the sound file for that. Um, and uh, and I wanted to know, is this just, you know, what sound vibrations as this thing moves through space? It's all just natural." Or is there any really possibility there's something else more to this? And I recall at the time I actually reached out to my old friend Chuck Mizler, uh, and ah, Dr. Yes. Mizler now has been dead for a couple of years, but he was a really good friend of mine, very close. I mean, he came and spent time at my home, uh, and you know, we hang out. Um, I and I said, Chuck. Do you know anybody in a research or intelligence agency that might have access to, what, a supercomputer or some other system that could slow down these sound waves on the Rosetta Comet and check for me if there's any repeatable patterns? I just want to make sure. It's a long shot, um, but I'm just wondering if there might be some type of, you know, what, replicating synthetic non-organic code, if you will in the sound. Uh, And so Chuck, he knew a man uh, that had been involved very early on in developing audio technology. He said he was a bona fide genius. And right now, frankly, as I'm on this show, I can't even remember his name, Um, but he sent me his contact info. I sent him the audio recording and I would not tell him where it came from, but I just sent it to him from the Rosetta. And I asked him if he could check it to... You know, are there any repeating patterns, whatever in it, mathematical, something, what? Um, And um, I didn't hear from him for the longest time. then finally he contacted me and he said, um, has anybody else that's listened to this pattern become sick, physically sick? from listening to the audio recording. And I emailed him back, and I said, no, because you're the only one I've sent it to. Uh, Anyway, he died before he could even do the analysis for me. So when I didn't hear anything more, I reached out to this friend at NASA um, and his second scientist friend, and I asked him if they could take a look at it, and they did. They took a stab at it using Fourier-based uh, deconvolution, or resolving what they called the ciliographic signals,
1: we got about three minutes here, Tom, so I just
2: well i 'm okay, so we 're going to run out of time, but they sent me a very long report. It was a strange finding uh, in which they said that the signal indicated there was something more than noise in a pure random process, It was a magnetic field interaction um, and it was it was very, very intriguing to me. And so since we're going to run out of time, um, we'll have to talk about this on a different program. But they found that there were um, non-organic markers in in that sound that to them could be only interpreted as a message that was being carried, and so the European Space Agency, NASA, they were all uh, interested in this. So jump forward to now. He meets with me uh, in Branson this year. You have got to take my name out of this thing right now. I've been drawn before an adjudicator. I'm being threatened, and I had a feeling it was more than just his job in retirement, and it had something to do with Apophis as a messenger. Uh ah that is headed towards Earth.
1: Well, we're going to have to have you back on again, Thomas, and we can delve further into this. Um, I guess, well, we've got about a minute here. <laughs> what to do? I just Does this fit into, it doesn't fit into my sort of basic understanding of how the un- end times are supposed to unfold. I mean, is there time between now and 29 for a tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, a false peace in the Mideast, you know, the Battle of Gog and Magog. I mean, how is this all going to unravel before this cataclysm?
2: Yeah, so if you're a pre-tribulation rapture believer, uh, and I know that many of you are not, you probably are not, but if you're a pre-tribulation rapture believer, then you would back up three and a half years from Friday the 13th, 2029. Uh, You wind up at October 13th, 2025, and guess what? That's the exact day of the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, which was the time when the Jews celebrated being delivered from the gods of Egypt, including... The uh, God of Chaos, Apophis. Hmm. Um, and uh, two weeks earlier than that is Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, when the shofar is blown 100 times, and most dispensationalists think that the rapture is going to occur during that day. Why? Because Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, I tell you mystery, we shall not all sleep, we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, he said the same thing to the Thessalonians. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a a shout, with the voice of the archangel, at the sound of the trumpet of God. So um, we don't have time to go into that tonight. We're out of time. But there are some very, very, very odd—now, if you're not a pre-tribulation believer— it's also interesting, because April 2029 is Passover, ah. and well, Passover, too, was Egypt being delivered during the night when all of the firstborn are being destroyed, and God says, if you put the blood of the uh, lamb on the doorpost of your home, I'm I the- will pass over you. So there's both both three and a half years before middle, and three and a half years later, all three of these fall on very, very important Jewish feast days that are connected by Christians to the Christology of the New Testament.
1: All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Fascinating. I hope you can come back, and we'll uh, we'll talk further. Thank you so much for this, Thomas, and it's uh, skywatchtv.com. You can order yeah, the book I right
2: there. at Biggest giveaway in the history of humanity <laughs> <laughs> right now. Uh, thanks, Richard, for having me on your program.
1: Thank you. My thanks to Owen and Ryan back next week, hopefully with Ronald Reagan's, Ronald Reagan's secret agent, Ambassador Lee Wanta. Until then, so long for now. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.